Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions midweek podcast. Back here one week away from the NFL Draft, which means this is the last First Bite episode before the NFL Draft. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the editor-in-chief over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, as always, as my co-host for First Bite, senior editor of uh, of Pride of Detroit. I think that's the site name. Uh, at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan is here. Ryan Matthews. Jeremy, you are here. I am here, but we need to introduce the third man that I'm most excited to have on the show today. And please read his title as I wrote it in the outline. I absolutely will. Uh, it's it's become a bit of a, a tradition to have this guy on right before the NFL draft. Sometimes he even drops in on our live show. He is the former data analyst for Pro Football Focus, the former COO of FTN Data, and the current co-president of the Malik Willis fan club. Brett Whitefield is here. Brett, how are we doing, buddy? Dude, this is the fourth year in a row that we're getting together the Thursday before the draft. It's definitely like a home to me. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> hey, I love uh, it. Yeah, and I know I know Ryan is is super excited because of that last point. And I think I think that's where we start the conversation. So I'm just going to kind of kick back and I'm going to let you two wax poetic about Malik Willis. Go ahead, Ryan. Well, I mean, you've heard you've heard me do it quite enough. So, like, let, let's just catch everybody up to speed, right? I mean, the Lions bring in Malik Willis for a top 30 visit this week. They bring him in on Tuesday, if I'm correct. Yes, maybe. I believe that's right, yep. Uh, and then they bring in Kenny Pickett the very next day. Um, we can set that to the side for right now, though. Like, I, I want to know, Brett, like, do you think this is due diligence, as Brad Holmes mentioned, or do you think that this is a sign that they're actually entertaining the thought of drafting a quarterback at two and a, a loaded question on top of that, why should it be Malik Willis? Well, man, like I can't say that I can get to the mind of Brad Holmes and know exactly sure. what he's thinking, but they would be silly not to be seriously considering this. So whether it's due diligence or not, that due diligence should lead them to the thought process of, man, we really should consider this guy. Now, whether, you know, he's 100% the guy to take, or maybe there's two or three guys they're, they're interested in, I don't know, but I feel like they should definitely be there where where they're really considering, hey man, this may be the guy of the future for us and we wanna we wanna take him. Yeah, to, to jump into your question, like why Malik Willis? Why not Malik Willis? And I have I have to credit you, Ryan, too, because I think early in the process I was I was on uh, a little bit more on Sam Howell. And you, I don't know if it was DMs or in the open sphere, but you were kind of like, dude, you gotta watch more Malik Willis. I dove in, immediately fell in love with the guy. Um, but the real question is, what can't Malik Willis do? 
And I haven't heard anybody answer that question yet. There's some things he needs coaching for, but there's not a single football thing he cannot do right now. And uh, there isn't a player in this draft that can turn around this franchise quicker than Malik Willis if he hits his potential. Okay, well, let's let's jump in with, I guess, some of the perceived criticisms of him. And, and I know you, sure. you, might, you might feel a little differently. The main one being that he's too raw. He didn't have enough. He didn't go through enough progressions in, at Liberty because they didn't ask him to. And, and when, when he had to go through some progressions, he, he struggled with it. So he's going he's gonna to take a year or, or maybe even two years to develop. Tell me why that is wrong. Okay, so right off the bat, I think a lot of times we play this game where a prospect has to be clean, completely clean, no flaws in order to consider him at two. I'm not saying Malik Willis doesn't have flaws. He doesn't have some warts. Every prospect does. What Malik Willis does well is unteachable. Um, this idea that he can't get through progressions, I'm not really sure where that came from. Um, I, I think people that say that they're not really considering all the circumstances with Malik Willis and Liberty University and the guys he's playing with on a down in down out basis. There's not a single player on that offense that will be playing on Sundays in the NFL. You can't say that for any other quarterback prospect the last, I don't know, 15 years. Um, so with that said, what, what comes with playing with that kind of supporting cast? Well, Malik Willis was under pressure on 120 something dropbacks of his 480. I'm sorry, quick pressure, pressure in 2.5 seconds or less. Like, so we're talking about getting through progressions. It's impossible to get through progressions when you have a guy immediately in your face. Um, if you, I've charted every throw of every quarterback in this class. One of the things that was really startling to me is when you isolate Malik Willis's game, when he doesn't have pressure and he's throwing in rhythm, his accuracy jumps to the roof. He's got the highest big time throw percentage. It's a PFF stat. Um, and the next closest guy is like, is not even half of, of what Malik Willis does. Um, his accuracy rate is really high. He throws the second least amount of inaccurate passes um, from a clean pocket. His average time to throw too. people talk about getting through progressions. His average time to throw was a real healthy 2.39 from a clean pocket um, when throwing in rhythm. So he's getting through those progressions. He's getting the ball out quickly. Um, I've seen a lot of people say that he's got a slow trigger. I think that proves that that's not true. He's getting the ball out quicker than anybody in the class when in rhythm and when he's not getting pressured. Ryan, I see your eyes just lighting up right now. <laughs> You're sweating. I, you know, well, you know, I, I might be doing a number of things right now. Um, here, here, here's the thing. And, and excuse me, uh, because I am a little bit under the weather and it's not just because I'm hot and bothered because of all this Malik Willis talk, but I'm Brett. I, I'm most intrigued by what you said earlier, right? Like going into the pre-draft process, you were a little bit higher on Sam Howell. And I, I think what has happened since you've done your deep dive on Malik Willis is he's maybe rose up the ranks. I think you're still high on Sam Howell though. Am, am I, am I, am I right in, in estimating that? Yeah. So my evaluation of Sam from a football perspective hasn't changed. I still think he's got exceptional arm talent. He's a very accurate throw of the football. He throws with great anticipation. Um, a lot of, I guess, my recent criticism of Sam is when I got exposure to both of them at the senior bowl, I just saw the intangibles that Malik Willis have pop. He's clearly a natural born leader. He's a guy everyone wants to be around. I mean, everyone saw the pro day, right? I mean, the dude's just ha out there having fun. Um, every single person I've talked to that knows him personally just dotes on the guy. He's an incredible human being. 
Sam, I don't want to say things Sam can't do. I don't know Sam personally, but I, people I've talked to, he has the nickname Sleepy Sam. And that doesn't necessarily mean he can't play or won't ever be a good player. It just, when you're turning over, you know, your franchise basically to, to a quarterback, and that's ultimately what the quarterback position is. He is the face of the franchise, whether you want him to be or not. Um, I want those intangibles. I want what Malik Willis has, that constant joy, that work ethic, that ability to, to lead people. Those are things you can't teach. You're either born with it or you're not. And um, I, I want that. Well, l- really quick, let me, let me ask one last thing on Malik for me. And it's how long do you think it'll be until he's ready? Because some people, I mean, ev- most people think it's going to be at least a year. And the Lions are in a position where that's fine. They, they have Jared Goff there for a year. Sure. Some people argue that it's, it's even two years. Um, I've heard that you think, you know, not, not that he's going to be ready day one or anything like that, but in terms of how far away he is maybe compared to a normal quarterback prospect, maybe not as far away as, as some people think. Yeah, I, I don't think he's that far away. Um, I think he's a better prospect than Trey Lance was a year ago. Trey Lance sat the whole year, but he did get some reps this season. Um, I, I, it's impossible to say when a guy will be ready, right? Like we're not the coaches. We don't, we don't really know, but I, I do know what I just told you based on like his performance from a clean pocket. I really do think if you give this guy a more stable environment than he had at Liberty university, like there wasn't a single game. I, I can't stress this enough where they weren't outmatched. They, right. it's a, it's a very bad football program. It's a, it's on the come up um, largely part because of, because of Malik, but um, the, I can't stress that enough, like literally outmatched every single game. And when he got that stable environment, he performed incredibly well coming to the lions. Like you said, they've got golf ahead of him already to, to kind of bring him up slowly, but he's got that offensive line. They've obviously added some weapons on offense. They're probably going to add more next Thursday, Friday, um, you know, potentially Debo who knows, but I, I think the environment here will be the most stable environment Malik has ever had to play in. And we already know what he can do out of structure. So it's, it's a matter of, can we get this guy in structure more? And I really, I think he could thrive. Um, I love, I love the situation though. I love that they don't have to force the hand. Um, they can kind of bring him along slowly. Uh, th- the other reality too, is like, what is the end goal? Like do is putting Malik out there for eight games next year. Even if he goes, Oh, and eight, what, what is that? Like, we're not trying to win next year anyways. So it's like, get the guy experience, get him developed. Sometimes trial by fire is the best way. And, and the last thing that I want to kind of punctuate this conversation with is the concern about taking him at two, right? And I think that through the pre-draft process, we've seen the mock drafts of too early at two, but hey, the Carolina Panthers can take him at six or the Seattle Seahawks can take him at nine. And, and that's a great pick. Yeah. Is is that simply just people wanting to wanting to eat their cake and have it too? Or is it something to to really look at the top of this draft class? And I know Jeremy wants to get into the you know edge rushers and, and some of these other positions. Sure. But for for a guy like Malik who has this perceived, you know, question mark and potentially very low floor, like is that the concern that taking a guy at two ties him to Brad Holmes in a way that it, it could really you know, it, it could undermine all of this good that they've done so far in this first year and a half. Yeah. I think people, a lot of people that say he's not worth seeing it too. I think a lot of it is that they were conditioned to believe there wasn't a quarterback in this class worth taking. Um, that's been the narrative for a long time. So part of my draft Malik Willis plan, it's there's three main reasons why one is what he can do on the field. Um, I've already covered that a little bit. 
Um, he's, he's clearly amazing. Even like, I know I talked about how often he was under pressure. Um, a stat that blows my, my mind is when he was under pressure last year, he accounted for 70 first downs or touchdowns while under pressure. So he took 70 plays that have a negative connotation attached from the defense, you know, pressuring the offense. And he, he turned that into 70 first downs or touchdowns. Like that is mind blowing. The next closest guy in the class was under 50. Um, I went back and I, I looked at all of, all of the guys last year, that number dwarfs all of them as well. Um, so what he can do on the field is crazy. The second part is we're not, we don't, people can act like they know what the QB class next year looks like. We don't actually know. Um, coming into this season, everyone thought it was Howell and Rattler locks one, two picks. They both had, you know, one had a bad season, one had a mediocre season. And now Howell might not even go in the first round. Rattler is now in a second transfer or something. Like we, it's, it's pretty crazy how fast things change. So we don't honestly know what the QB class looks like next year. So we've seen some promising things from Stroud and Levis and Young, but it doesn't mean anything right now. They have to perform next year. They have to take the next step. Because the reality is once you get into the draft process, that's when the magnifying glasses come out. That's when we pick apart your game. Right now, you know, Young and Stroud look like amazing prospects, but no one's actually dove in that hard on them. Um, the third, third prong here is, there's currently five teams, I think, with two first-round picks next year, maybe four. Anyways, all but maybe one of them, you could argue, have a chance to finish with a worse record than the Lions. So they're going to be at a tremendous disadvantage already because they're going to have higher picks and they're going to have more than one pick. So where are they getting that quarterback from next year? So to answer your question, Ryan, if the Lions think that he's the guy, I don't care if it's two. I don't care if they bump up to one to take him. They got to get Malik Willis if they believe that he can be the guy. If they don't, then they can pass, and I'll live with it. You had me until you, you said trade up to one, but but otherwise, I don't seriously want that. I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just pointing out that you do. It yeah. doesn't matter if it's two, seven, nine. You if he's the guy, you take him. Well, well and, and 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 to that point, the, the last thing I want to say is like it, it's not a Lamar Jackson situation where you just end up dumb lucky moving Correct. back into the first round at 32 after you took Hayden Hurst. Yeah. in the middle of the first round, right? Like if he's your franchise quarterback, and I know this is something that Jeremy totally agrees with. If he's yeah. your guy, you don't wait on him. You don't trade back. You don't play cute. You take him at two and you move on. Because quarterback is that important. Yep. Right. This isn't like, like I said, if, if Malik hits his ceiling, actually, even if he hits like 70% of his ceiling in Detroit, that does more for the franchise than if Aiden Hutchinson becomes a hall of famer. So it's a decent point to make, but let's let's talk a little bit about the edge class because I don't know, maybe I'm reading the tea leaves too much, but it doesn't seem like the lines are, are going to go the quarterback route based on some things Red Holmes and, and Dan Campbell have said. I, I do believe that they 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 like Jared Goff at least enough to to give him one more year here. Uh but yeah, let's let's talk about the edge class because I mean that that has been the persistent debate for the past three months or so. And um I I I, I I guess I'll just ask this very simply. Who is your favorite of the edge prospects? And who do you think is the Lions favorite? Oh, I like that. Um, so I tweeted a certain so something yesterday that I think, you know, answers one of those questions, but I'll, I'll get to that. So um, I, I kind of view Aiden Hutchinson and, and Kayvon as the clear one, two guys, just like almost everybody else. Um, I don't include Trayvon Walker in that mix. Um, and I'll get to that in a second, but um, for me, 
Hutchinson seems like a safer prospect. I feel like he's got a higher floor. He's a very developed player right now. Um, I think what he brings to the table is he's a guy who starts right away for you, and he's he's probably a pretty good player. I think Kayvon Thibodeau might be the most talented player in the draft, though. Um, so really, it depends what you want. Uh, in the Lions situation, they haven't had a star defensive player in, what, since Sue? Essentially. And he yeah. probably played his best football after he left the Lions. So, um, I mean, I, I would swing for the fences. I, I, I've leaned Hutch through the whole process. So I'm not, I'm not coming off that. I do think Hutch ranks a little bit higher for me. But in the Lions-specific situation, I think I'm swinging the fence for Kayvon Thibodeau. And I think that's who they like better. That's what I think. Any, any particular reason for that? Yeah. Is, so go ahead. I, we've heard all this chatter about, you know, Kayvon's not a culture fit. I've seen people saying this since January and I don't know where it comes from, but every move the Lions have made doesn't, that behavior doesn't match that thought process. Um, starting with the fact that they, they scouted Kayvon twice this, this college season, they sent people out to see him. Um, I haven't confirmed that Holmes was at either of those, but I, I've, it's been speculated that he was. Yeah. You don't send the GM to a college football game unless you're very interested in that player. Right. That just that's something that doesn't happen. Not midseason. Um, in those initial meetings with Kayvon, they would have known right away if he was a culture fit or not. And what they proceeded to do after that was meet with him at the combine. They sent what like seven yeah. high high level personnel to his pro day, including. They including Brad Holmes, Dan Campbell, Glenn, um, the whole Calvary was there. Honestly. Spielman, yeah. Spielman. Yeah. I mean, like they literally sent everybody. You don't do that. You don't, and that's not due diligence. That's that goes far beyond due diligence. That is like a, Hey, we're very interested in this guy. And they would have already known long in the pro, long before in the process, if he was a culture fit or not. So that, so their behavior really doesn't match that idea that he's not a culture fit. I think he absolutely is a culture fit too, by the way, because Kayvon, has a swagger about him that I think is attractive to guys like Dan Campbell, that macho alpha mentality. Kayvon knows he doesn't care who you are lined up across from him. He is going to kick your ass. <laughs> and that is, I mean, he knows that. And I think Dan wants a guy like that on his defense. So I, I want to talk about the third guy, right? The guy that yeah. clearly is not part of your top two. And, and I, and I think for the most part, you, you find this hierarchy, right? That it's Hutch and Thibodeau, depending on your flavor of where your franchise is. And then it's Trayvon Walker and Trayvon Walker is a name that we've obviously seen shoot up draft boards since the combine. Where is the concern with Walker specifically? So my background in football is twofold. Like I, I played at a, a decently high level and then I spent a lot of time at PFF and I work in the analytics world now. And as an analytics guy, I can't look at Walker's body of work and just dismiss it as he's raw or betting on the traits. Let's take him at two overall. And that's what you're doing. He's a very undeveloped football player right now. Um, there's not a lot of like, not a lot of skills he has developed that translate to the NFL right away. That doesn't mean his ceiling isn't exponentially high. Um, it very well is. He's got, he's got a tremendous amount of traits. If you are a scout who just looks at the traits, you will love Trayvon Walker. Um, I look at both. Uh, I don't see a reason to bet on a guy, especially in the Lions position, when there are a ton of edge prospects in this class that are already developed that have similar athletic upside. I mean, Kayvon is every bit as good of an athlete as Trayvon. Hutchinson's darn close. Uh, Jermaine Johnson is up there. 
uh, Arnold Ebbe, I can't Ebbe pronounce his name, Ebiketti, Boye Moffitt. Like, they're, all these guys have insane athletic ceilings. So this isn't like the Ansa draft class where there was no – that draft was void of edge rushers. So they bet on a tools guy because there was nothing else. So it's like, yeah, let's swing at the upside. You don't have to take that risk now, though, because they have the upside and the developed tools already in line for them. Um, so that's personally why I'm not a Trayvon Walker guy at two overall. Is is there any extra value that you give to a guy that can play in the interior like that? Like I know we, we generally think of edge rushers at the top of the draft. You just want pass rush. You just want a guy who can get to the quarterback. Trayvon brings a little bit extra to that. He's obviously pretty good at against the run and he can slide inside. So does that, does that give him any sort of advantage that, that makes him worth potentially the, the number two pick? Not really. Maybe, I mean, maybe a little. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's developed in either spot right now to, to even contribute at either of those spots. So um, this isn't, I, I kind of learned my lesson with Trey flowers coming to Detroit. It's like, unless the mastermind is actually the one that's going to be pulling the strings, it's, doesn't really work. So Flowers, play, he was an interior guy in New England, right? Mostly, a lot of his Packers production came on the interior. We brought him to Detroit. I got super excited. Oh, Patricia's trying to do the same thing, and they never played him there, <laughs> um, and they just never got that same production out of him on the interior, right? So I worry about that with Walker. It's like if we're not his actual DC in Georgia, are we going to get the same production there? It just seems like a pipe dream. I, I'd rather either make him a three tech or make him an edge defender. So the last question I have about the top of the draft, because we're all hyper-focused on two, right? And it's, yeah. it's, it's because the draft is starting at one this year. Um, and, and there's a lot of dialogue to be had because we truly just have no idea who's going to be available at two at this point. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, are there any other players outside of Malik? We, we've talked about a bunch of positions or at least two positions that are really high. Uh, yeah. in terms of value, quarterback and edge rusher. Are, are you able to talk yourself into any of the other prospects at different positions, whether it's Sauce Gardner at cornerback or Kyle Hamilton at safety? Do any of those guys seem valuable enough to take at number two? Um, yeah, so I, I kind of look at a good, better, best, don't draft model. It's kind of how I, 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 I guess place it in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so my best, obviously, is Malik Willis. My better is Thibodeau or Hutchinson. My good guys I'd be okay with, I could live with these guys, is probably both corners, Stingley and Sauce. Uh, that's the analytics background of me. Like, cornerback is such a valuable position. I think it's still underrated. Um, if if they felt like that was the best – like, I, I we've heard – what's his name? I don't know if it's Campbell or, or Holmes that's been saying it, but they need that uh, game changer on yeah. defense. They both said that. <laughs> they, they both, they both said, said that. So. Yeah if they think sauce is the game changer shoot, he actually might be, he's insanely good or Stingley's the game changer. Then I, I could live with that. It's a high, super valuable position. Those guys are both awesome prospects. Um, I could live with that. Not my first choice, but I could live with it. Um, and then in my don't draft is Kyle Hamilton. Okay. Let me, let me hear about that. Cause I, I've actually been, I think more open than most about Kyle Hamilton. Tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah. So I could go with all the cliches of safety is not a super valuable position, blah, 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 blah. It's true. For that reason alone, I wouldn't consider it. But on top of that, I don't think Hamilton's as clean of the prospect as everyone's made him out to be. I don't think he's this Hall of Fame caliber elite prospect. Uh, I think he's a really good safety prospect. I think he's got a lot more warts than people let on. I think a lot of a lot of people, a lot of guys on Twitter specifically are doing the one-play scouting. 
They've got the play of, you know, him cutting off that underthrown pass on the sideline. <laughs> By the way, it was very underthrown. Yeah, um, fair. it's fair. Great play, no yeah. doubt. But, like, he did that one time on, like, 1,700 snaps or something. Is it, so, speed is obviously a lot of people's concern. And I I, I, sh- I shy a little bit off that because I think it's a little bit too reliant on the 40. But I think maybe yeah. the more um, more fine-tuned take is, is the, the, the flipping of the, of the hips, right? And exactly. Then like, is, is that is that where you think? Yeah, he. Is, is my notes issue? on him were he looks like he's stuck in the mud a lot of the times. Mm. Um, so you, like you, you're drafting a six four two twenty safety. God, you would hope they could line up over a tight end and, and play press man against him and and carry him up the the field. And I don't see the fluidity in his movement to do that. Um, I think he's an explode and drive on the ball type of safety. Um, he's got great instincts. I'm not going to say he doesn't have that. So, uh, I, like I said, I think he's a great safety prospect. I just don't think he's this elite guy. Um, unicorn, like, as everyone you know, likes to put. Exactly. He's not a unicorn. He's not a Swiss Army knife. He's not this guy who can do everything. Um, I, I think his best fit, honestly, is probably deep middle of the field safety. And you don't draft those guys second overall. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to dive deeper into the draft, get some more takes from Brett Whitefield, talk more Lions draft just a week away here on First Bite. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on First Bite talking the NFL draft with Brett Whitefield, our, our ultimate guest for, for all things NFL drafts. Wow, uh, what a title. Oh, I was going to say penultimate. I'm like, that's not technically right, but no, uh, let's, so we, we've, I think we've covered pick two up and down 
let's talk about the rest of uh, of the Lions draft. Specifically, let's let's start at the bottom of the first round in those guys at 32, 34, maybe slip into 66. Um, let's start at linebacker because that seems to be a bit of a polarizing topic sometimes with, with people. And um, I, I think it's pretty obvious that it's a big need for the Lions. Um, do, you, do you think that the Lions, I, I mean, I, I guess the argument can be made it's not maybe one of the more important positions to the Lions in general, but in terms of need, it's got to be pretty high up there. So do you think that linebacker is a legitimate target that we could be seeing either 34, 36, or 66? Uh, Yeah, 100%. I mean, if if the right guy's there, for sure they should pull the trigger. Um, I prefer probably waiting till 66 because of the positional importance and all that. And I think this is a pretty deep draft class too, as far as linebackers go. So... Yeah, I prefer they, they wait a little bit on that. But if the right guy's there at 32 or 34, why not? So so who are some of those right guys? Because I, I think I agree with you. Like you see a lot of mock drafts and whether you're using machine or whatever, you know, getting to 66, it seems like there's just a swath of like guys that are available. Um, yeah. But who, who, who's, who are maybe, yeah, who are some of the guys that might be available at 32 or 34 that you're like, yeah, okay, I'll send in the card for that guy. Yeah, so the obvious one that jumps off the, the page to me is Devin Lloyd. Um, now, I have no idea how the NFL views him. I know from people I've talked to, it seems like there's a pretty wide range of opinions. Like he's a top 10 guy, some people think, and other people think he's like a back end of the first guy. Um, either way, he's a tremendous football player. Uh, there's really nothing he can't do. He's kind of like, stylistically speaking, not talking ceiling floor, He reminds me of a cross between Fred Warner and Micah Parsons. Hmm. Now, if that sounds like the perfect linebacker, then that's because he is. Um, (laughs) Like there isn't anything he can't do. He's he's a modern coverage guy, whether it's zone or man. Uh, He was so good in coverage that against UCLA, they'd actually lined him up in the slot against Kyle Phillips. He's one of the better slot, you know, receivers in the draft. They lined him up in the slot and just said, just man this dude up. And then there's games where they needed a pass rush and they literally put him at defensive end and just said, go get the quarterback. And he did that to great success, actually beating tackles one-on-one with moves, with speed. Um, he's a tremendous athlete, ball skills for days, stout run defender. Uh, he's a top 10 guy in the draft class for me. I don't understand why he's not, everyone doesn't view him that way. Um, everyone I talk to that I, I respect their opinion. That's the first thing I ask is like, why don't you have Devin Lloyd higher than where you do? So, yeah, that's the obvious one. Um, other guys I like there are probably Quay Walker, Georgia linebacker, and then his counterpart, Nicobe Dean. I favor Quay a little bit, but I like both guys a good amount. So, well, let, yeah, let's talk more about Nicobe Dean because I feel like he's a, a pretty popular pick there at 32 or 34. And, and basically, every mock you see, and we had a couple conversations in terms of, you know, he's, he's a leader of that Georgia defense, he, he's definitely a big personality fit. Um, but the, the questions are about his size, right? And and whether, mm-hmm. you know, what whether the lines are okay with a guy that's small and fast, um, whether he can shed blocks or if he's just so fast that he can maneuver around blocks. Um, is that is that a big concern of yours for him at the next level? Not a ton, no. Um, I look at what uh, Glenn did with, what's the linebacker's name in New Orleans? Really good Mike to have. I'm bl- totally blanking. Oh, geez. Oh, my gosh. What is wrong with me? Came over from the Jets. DeMar- uh, Demario Davis. Demario Davis. Tremendous player. Nicobe Dean reminds me a lot of him. He's not your most physical guy. He's not going to go up and stick his face in a fan, play in and play out. 
but he's very elusive, slips blocks very well. He can still get after it in the run game, and he's also tremendous in coverage. I see Dean in a very similar role, so I do think he's a good fit. Um, he's obviously a great athlete too. I think Quay is a better athlete slightly, and he's bigger. He has that size. So I think Quay gives you a more versatile player, someone who's going to be a really good blitzer. Uh, you know, he's, a, he's an asset in, in the pass rush game. He can cover. Um, he's bigger, more physical. I think he's he's probably a more well-rounded prospect than Nakobe. I, I, I understand, too, that not everyone views it that way. So I'm a little bit on an island in that regard. But I, I really like both those guys, though. How big of a fan are you of LSU's Damone Clark? Because that's somebody who I think is an interesting prospect now, especially after the the spinal fusion surgery. It, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Like, especially, you know, we, we just talked about in the first segment, like maybe the Lions aren't in a position necessarily to say, hey, we need immediately productive players now. Like, is he somebody who maybe you would take as high as 97? Or do you think you can maybe wait until the Lions fifth round pick? Yeah, so everything you just said spot on. I, I actually really love him. He everything I just said about Dean and Quay, he kind of he he fits that mold. Super athlete. Um, assuming the medicals check out, which obviously the three of us don't really know that, but assuming the medicals check out, I would take him for ninety seven, no problem. Like 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 you said, they don't need this guy to play right away. Like the the future, you know, they're looking at twenty twenty three and beyond to be their their go for ears. That's when you need him ready. So assuming the medical checkout, yeah, 97 is a no-brainer. I would say, though, that if the Lions did try to perform a trade back, whether that was at 2 or 32, one of their goals should be getting a fourth-round pick because they currently have a massive gap between yep. picks. Pick 97 to the end of the fifth round is yep. giant. That's a humongous valley. Yeah. Right? yeah, 80 picks between they, – they, I guarantee you that is bothering them right now. They're yeah. sitting there thinking, how can we get a pick in that range so we don't miss a run of players? If they were to get that pick, whether that's another end of the third or somewhere in the middle of the fourth, that's the guy I'd probably be targeting, to be honest. I, I really, there was something that, 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 I almost called him Bob Quinn, that Brad Holmes said today that really seemed to indicate that maybe he was thinking about trading out of that 32 spot. Like maybe he was talking about the fifth year option with quarterbacks and he, he seemed to suggest like maybe that's going to entice someone to grab that spot. And I think yeah. that would be a prime opportunity to pick up that fourth round because I think you're right. I think, I think they like, generally speaking, I think they like that part of the draft and yeah, it's, it's a huge part to be missing out on. Is, is 66 too much of a risk for, for Clark? No. I mean, I, I think there's a chance there's other players there that I like as much as Clark. So that's why I'm, I was hesitant to say 66 for sure, but 97 is a no brainer to me. Who, yeah. Who? If, if they're convinced Clark's the guy. Yeah. Pull it so who are, who are some of the other guys? Are you, are you big Chad Muma guy? Yeah, I, I like Muma. I like Troy Anderson quite a bit. Okay. Um, I like uh, SMOA. Like if you're talking, you know, analytics guy, I want the coverage linebacker. SMOA fits that bill quite a bit. Um, tremendous coverage guy. I like Christian Harris, Alabama guy too. Okay. Yeah. He, he's similar to Dean in that he's really undersized, but he can turn and run with, you know, tight ends and even slot receivers on occasion. So um, I like all those guys at linebacker. And there's other positions I would, I would tackle at 66 too. This is a, a, that's a really sweet spot for the draft. Like the, the second and third round, I think is like, I, I would want as many picks as humanly possible in there. Well, let's uh, so, go, go. Yeah, go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, let, let's talk about one of those other positions. And, and again, we're talking a, a huge need here, safety. And, and yeah. like Ryan was saying before, seems like that's a, a very popular pick 
lot, a lot of choices there at the bottom of the, the first round, top of the second. Uh, it, are, are you like, it seems like everybody else and it's like Lewis seen is just the dude. And if the lines can land him, it's a huge dub. He's the dude. Yeah. He's the dude. Tell, uh, tell me, t- throw, throw some facts out there about him. Tell, tell me about Lewis seen. Yeah. So my favorite thing about him is he's, he's super long, incredibly well-sized. He's a little lean. Like you probably want him to pack on five, 10 pounds of muscle. Um, I'm not going to push him to do that though. Cause his play speed is insane. And even though he's sub 200 pounds, the dude comes to fight. Like he's, he's, he's ready to stick his face in a fan. He will come up and lay the absolute wood. He'd be a great compliment to Walker. Cause they both kind of have that mentality where yeah. smaller guys, but they're not afraid to throw their bodies around. Um, and then seeing athletic freakazoid, like he can, you know, you could probably play him at corner if you wanted to, he's that athletic. Um, he'll D up whatever receiver, but yeah, I mean, from man coverage to zone coverage, really fast trigger in the run game, uh, great instincts in the pass game. I mean, he doesn't get talked about a ton because that Georgia defense was so good and so deep. He, in my opinion, he was one of the main reasons that Georgia defense was as good as it was. So some of those other safeties that are in that spot, Brett, and I, I see, you know, 32 or 34, they're guys who can do different things, right? Like you just said, Lewis seen like athletic enough. If you want to throw him at corner for a few snaps, he can do it in, yeah. in a pinch. But like some of the other guys, right? Like Daxton Hill, it's like, oh, split safety, can play corner, can yeah. play nickel corner, especially, and, and maybe even excel at that position. But then somebody even like Baylor's Jalen Peter, right? Like can play nickel corner. Yeah another really interesting and intriguing prospect and, and Penn stage Jaquan Brisker, um, a, a long guy, um, you know, somebody who can maybe cover some different kinds of players. Like, is there a hierarchy there? Is there, are there guys that I just mentioned that like you, you wouldn't be so keen on um, at 32 or 34. So all four of those guys you just mentioned, I, they're like in a really tight cluster for me seeing as at the top of that cluster um, I would say Dax is probably at the bottom. Hmm. One caveat, Hill and Petrie. Is it Petrie or? It's Petrie, yeah. Petrie. I those two Peter. guys. Petrie. Petrie. Oh, hmm. Those two guys, I view them as slot corners. Like, I, I know in this defense, they'd probably play safety most of the time. But, like, let's be honest, their role in their defense was basically slot corner. Petrie rarely left the slot. Same with Dax Hill. Like, he was a slot corner with a, sa- with a safety label. Um so those guys can do a lot of like the very versatile guys. I like the fact that they can, they're that comfortable in coverage. You can bring them down on the slot and, uh, and you know, play man or, or, or even zone with them. Um, Brisker is a, another dude who's just super, super violent. I love what he brings to the table in the box. Um, you know, his ability, he's super explosive, his ability to defend the run, cover tight ends, cover, you know, running backs on the backfield. I think that's a huge, huge asset. All those guys are versatile in their own weird way. But I, I like them all. Brian Cook was the other guy I would throw in that mix. Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati. The Cincinnati guy. Yeah. All these guys are crazy athletic, too. I don't the safety class is just just chalk full of just insane athletes. And Nick Cross, Maryland's another one. I wouldn't probably take him that high. I think he's probably more of a late second, you know, third round guy, but um another freak athlete that I think would fit the defense really well. Uh let's let's talk wide receivers. We haven't talked wide receivers at all this yeah. this podcast, and and I think we would all agree. Uh a, pretty high need for this team um do you have a guy you know at 32 34 that that's that's kind of your dude are are you are you are you buying into like the christian watson hype 
I'm the I, I'm the originator of the Christian Watson hype. <laughs> That's right. I forgot. Really, right after the Senior Bowl, right? Yeah, I was I was the first. I, I'm not kidding when I say this. I think I was the first guy in the media, or at least I, I don't know if I'm considered media or whatever. But first public article that went out that said this guy was worth the first round pick. Mm. I'm I'm 99% sure that I was the first one to say that. Now a lot of people have come around to that. Um, the dude is freaking phenomenal, and if you're a trait scout. Just scouting traits, this dude has everything you could ever want in a receiver. The only real blemish on his resume is he played FCS ball. Now, he thoroughly nuked FCS ball, so that's not a huge concern of mine, but that is the one. And then he went to the Senior Bowl, though, and, and tore up every corner there. So, I don't know. Make make it that what you will. But, the, yeah, he I love him. The, I, this seems to be a late-developing concern, and just just in the media like obviously if it's there it's there but drops seem to be kind of the thing that people talk about with him that that aren't yeah, yeah, i don't go ahead. I, I don't ever really care about drops explain um, to, me why. to an extent of course yeah because it's it's a few plays it's a handful of plays it's like when when it's like the same thing when we debate edge rushers and you've got an edge rusher with 90 pressures and seven sacks or an edge rusher with 50 pressures and 12 sacks. For whatever reason, the public loves the 12 sack guy, even though the other dude affected the play 40 more times. It's the same thing with Watson. What he does on the other, yeah, he might drop three or four more passes a year than than the guy below him on the on the you know draft board. That's three or four plays. Who cares? What he brings to the table on the other 700 snaps he's going to play is far more valuable than the three or four drop pa- drop passes he might have. It's like Deontay Johnson in Pittsburgh. Like the dude drops a lot of balls, but he's insanely valuable. Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, these guys all led the league in drops this year. They're the best receivers in football. <laughs> Who cares? It really doesn't matter Fair. to an extent. If you're talking the guy dropped 30 passes in a year, that's a problem. But we're talking <laughs> very marginal numbers. What did Watson have? 12 drops? I don't know. Some, I, some, you know, it's not an official set, so it depends where you look, you know? Yeah, it's like, who who cares, honestly? Uh, Brett, any any late-round guys at any position that you are circling that you're interested in? I, I know you mentioned that specifically for the Lions, it might be kind of tough because they have that huge gap yeah. between their, their last pick uh, in the third round at 97 and then not until picking until the end of the fifth round. But, like... Are any guys that that you're interested in that you have circled? I would imagine that they they grab a tight end at some point. Okay, yeah, we haven't talked about that yet. I think that's an interesting discussion, right? Like, I, I think this offense this offense might not go because of a tight end too, but I feel like it would operate much more efficiently if they had a, a certified dude at that position who can who can do multiple things. Yeah, for sure, and like also. Hawk is coming up on a contract and I don't know where the Lions stand on that. I don't know that he's played well enough to warrant, you know, resetting the market with him. I don't know what he's going to ask for either. So um, I think preparing for that, you know, when Ebron kind of went through this whole phase, they had no plan whatsoever to deal with his departure. Um, I think, you know, planning ahead a little bit and maybe grabbing a guy if they end up at the fourth round pick or fifth round pick would be huge. Guys I really like, maybe in that range, or like a Jelani Woods from Virginia. Uh, I really specifically like him because I think he can operate at a tight end two level very, very well because he is so big and he's such a good blocker. Mm. Um, same thing with Rucker, the Ohio State tight end. He's got tight end one upside as a receiver. 
he just wasn't used very much like that, but he's a tremendous blocker already. So he kind of slots in right away and gives you a lot of versatility from your 12 and, you know, your 21 personnel looks, you know, if he's going to play some of that role too. Um, I, I really like both of those guys. Um, another dude I'm interested in, Daniel Bellinger, San Diego yep. State. Late round guy, phenomenal athlete. He really, really looked good at the senior role outside of a few pass pro reps. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he was he was put at a pretty big disadvantage on a couple of those that went viral. For sure. For I, sure. I, 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 w- I want to ask you about a couple of the top guys, though, just because do you think it's too early to think about tight end at 34 for the Lions if you're mm. circling a guy like Trey McBride or you're circling a guy like Dolchich? I don't know. How do you feel about those players? I'm a, I'm a huge McBride truther. Um, he's my tight end one. I love him. Uh, I think he does everything very, very well. His The one hole in his game is he's not phenomenal after the catch. Um, you do see the traits there though, that he should be good at that. He's a really good athlete, really strong, physical, competitive toughness, all of that stuff. You, you think maybe that's something he could develop a little bit, but we just didn't really see much of it at Colorado state. Um, but as far as a, ma- a mismatch guy goes, he's awesome. They lined him up outside a lot, like split him out wide and lined him up against a corner or a safety. And he routinely beat those guys deep as a tight end, which is very impressive. Um, so I, I really like McBride. I don't think the Lions are in a position where they should be considering a tight end that high, though. Um, I would say the earliest I would consider one is 66, and that would be for a guy like, you know, if McBride fell on the board or – like I, I really like uh, Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State a lot. So if they were sold that he's like a dude, I, I would be okay with that. But, um, yeah, that's probably the earliest I start considering tight end. All right, I wanted to go just – since we we really only covered one wide receiver, let's – Talk a little yeah. bit more about that. Um, anyone else, maybe third round or later, that that you think might be a good fit in Detroit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll preface by saying too, like there's so many good receivers in this draft, we don't really know how the board will fall. Right. So I might say a guy that ends up going 35th. I don't know. Yeah. Like Al- Alec Pierce is a guy I'm absolutely in love with. Um, he brings to the table a lot of I think what they were looking for in Chark. That's not necessarily my player comp for him, but he is that speed, vertical, freak athlete, body control, toe tapping, ridiculous catch guy. Great release game. He's big, physical. He can be your alpha receiver if you need him to be. He can be a red zone asset if you need him to be. Um, I think he checks all the boxes of what the lines are looking for in a compliment to Amon Ra. So if that guy was available in the third round, 66, I'd run to the podium w- with that card. Um Another guy I'm really, really interested in uh, is Calvin Austin. I know they had a chance to coach him down on the senior bowl. He would be a dedicated slot weapon, but the dude is electric. He's a better prospect than Rondell Moore was or Tutu Atla was. Both those guys went in the second round last year. But this class is so deep, I could see him falling to that 66 spot. That's another guy I would just be elated to have um, at 66. I think, you know, get, getting a dedicated slot would really open the door to use Amon Ra in that more Swiss army knife Debo kind of role we talked about earlier, where it's like, Hey, we want this guy to take a backfield carry this rap or a screen, whatever you can do whatever you want at that point. Uh, hey, Ryan, um, can you remind me who drafted Tutu at will? I, I can't recall. Uh, Los Angeles Rams. That, that's it. That, yep. Interesting. Okay. Just yeah. Connecting some dots there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Anyone else from the wide receiving core? Yeah. Like, it really depends what they're looking for. Um, yeah. I like Jalen Tolbert a lot. Mm-hmm. We watched Marvin Jones play here for four or five years, whatever it was. Uh, Tolbert is my comfort. Like, that's my comfort, Tolbert. He is Marvin Jones reincarnate. Um, 
they're they're clones. Their games are so similar. I think Lions fans would be elated to have a guy like that. More of a contested catch guy, but he he does have some route running ability and ability to get open. Um, well, I, 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 Brett, I know this goes to your point about like wide receivers are. I mean, they could go one guy could go 35 or he could go at the end of the third round. Like yeah. who really knows? Right. Um, one of those guys that I get that sense from is George's George Pickens. Like how, how do you feel about Pickens? Because it seems like that's another guy who Lions fans are pretty excited about at 32 or 34. Yeah. I have Pickens. I have a first round grade on Pickens. Um, okay. I talked about earlier how, like, I think Thibodeau might be the best just pure talent guy in the draft. I think Pickens might be the best pure talent guy at wide receiver in the draft. Um, the gaps for me are we haven't really seen him play since his freshman season. There are also some off-field concerns. Um, some of them have been verified as not actually concerned. Other people say contrary. I don't really know. Um, but that's a guy I would, yes, absolutely. 32, if they took Pickens, I'd be ecstatic. 34, obviously same thing. Um, my comp for him actually, ironically, is DJ Chark. <laughs> they are clones of each other. Um, Pickens is that tall, wiry, skinny frame, but he's an absolute freak of nature in the air. The way he like he looks like a, a superhero, honestly, flying through the air. Pickens probably has the most absurd reel of highlight catches you will ever see. Um, he even did some of them this year too in the, the national championship game. Uh, f- just phenomenal talent. So. So that's a guy you would take at 32. I'm going to bring up a guy that I know you wouldn't take at 32 because we oh, had a, pre, a pre-draft discussion on him, but a lot of people have, have kind of circled him as, a, as an option. And that's Arkansas's Traylon Burks. Tell me why you are not a Traylon Burks fan. Yeah. Traylon Burks. Um, he's not a very good wide receiver prospect. He's a decent athlete prospect, but he doesn't do wide receiver things. Um, and I think that my exact quote before the show was he doesn't have a single discernible wide receiver trait. There's nothing he was asked to do in college that translates to an NFL field outside of a couple highlight plays where he catches a deep ball. They were decently rare. Um, he caught 66 passes this past year. 41 of them were within five yards of the line of scrimmage or less. They used them on screens and tight end under routes. My actual comp for Traylon Burks, this might make you laugh, but it's I, this is a serious comp, so I'm being dead serious, is Johnny Smith. That's how he was used in college, is how Johnny Smith was used in Tennessee and how Johnny Smith was used in college. Right. That's what he does. He doesn't have a track record of beating press coverage. Um, I charted him for nine reps where he was ta- – nine catches where he was went up against press coverage. That's not a very large sample size. Mm-mm. Very rarely saw single coverage. Most of his production came on screens and halfback routes, tight like tight end slide unders with play action. He's just catching the ball in space and expected to get, you know, you run after catch yards. And he didn't really break any tackles either. That's the other crazy thing. Um, I was not surprised when he tested as just an okay athlete. I had been saying up until that point, I don't see – the athleticism. I do occasionally see this random burst of energy where, you know, he's a, he's a, what's it called? A buildup speed guy. Right. If he gets 40 yards downfield. I won't dispute the fact that the, the man can truck. He can hit that 22 miles an hour. Everyone's holding on to, <laughs> but as far as functional athleticism goes, I don't see it. He's incredibly stiff, has very little control over his body. 
Um, that's evident everywhere in his tape. Nobody can watch his tape and say, this is a guy who's in control of his body. Whether it's, you know, making, I've mentioned every time he catches the ball, he stumbles usually. Yeah. Like it, it's actually crazy. Like 70% of his catches, you could count on him stumbling immediately after catching the ball. Um, even some of the con- crazy contested catch highlights we see, his vert on those plays is like four inches, not exaggerating. I, I'm just, I'm out, I'm out on him. The hype has gotten way out of control. Third round, he's there. Let's talk. <laughs> First round, not touching him. A lot of work to do with that guy. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, anything else, Ryan, before I close this thing up? <laughs> I feel like we've gone on a journey. And uh, I'm glad I'm glad that it ended here. Yes. <laughs> True. Uh, it's not going to end here for our live audience. We're going to do a little Q&A with Brett Whitefield after the show. But for you podcast listeners, thank you for joining us. Brett, do you have anything else you want to plug before we, we get out of here? Just if you're not following me on Twitter already, please do. You guys, you guys do that. Uh, most of you do that already, I think. But um, it's at BG Whitefield on Twitter. Um, Jeremy mentioned I'm former this, former that. I have a huge announcement coming late in the late in the summer about where I will end up next. And uh, I think a lot of my work will be a little bit more public facing as well. So I've kind of been a behind the scenes guy up until this point in my career, and um, I think that's going to change a little bit. So uh, I think I will be a a value add at this point. Definitely would love a little more public facing Brett Whitefield because we don't get it enough on the show itself, but Brett appreciate you joining us again, audience appreciate you listening Uh, week till the draft y'all we're almost there, but until then it's chaos. Be kind. Be kind.